you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn. We're going to start a series in the morning and um, in 1 Thessalonians. And a great little book, short little book, <clears throat> but it is filled with some really good information, but challenge all the way through. So we think of 1 Thessalonians, there's going to be three words that you're going to see that are going to come out all the way through. Actually, it's in every chapter. You're going to see these words, faith, love, and hope. You'll see them right in the very opening chapter and every chapter after that. And then interspersed in every one of these chapters is the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back again. Now, when we think about what's happening around us, and we'll get a little more background on this little church, um, there's a lot of similarities to where we find ourselves today. But one of the big things is we can be assured that God has a plan for us until he comes. What is that plan? We've been talking through that numbers of ways, and we're coming down to looking at an example biblically of what was taking place in this church's life during that time frame. So as we continue, we're going to be thinking, what are we supposed to be doing until you come back? We know that these are letters. These are the epistles. They're called letters. The ones that we're talking about in particular were written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of God, may I say, because sometimes we forget that element. Paul happened to be the author that we look to, but we know that God inspired, totally different than any other writing that you could ever have. I was at New Brunswick Bible Institute, and by the way, I'm, I am teaching a class there. I don't know Keith. They must, not, they, they must not have had much to go on uh, to invite me in. But anyway, we're having a good time. Anyway, I am. I don't know about the students. You can pray for the seniors. And we talked about this area of where would you go? What, what would you use? If, if you come across somebody and you, you want to talk to them and you want to give them truth and you want to give them the word of God, you have to somehow figure out, do they believe that God's word is truth? Is that not a real big issue today? Because if you don't believe that the book is inspired of God, then it's just another book. Well, that's your opinion, right? That's your interpretation. That's your, and we get all these kind of things. And sadly, that's not just outside the church. That's creeping within the church. So when we consider the writings, let's consider whom it is that wrote the book. God Almighty penned it in those original languages. And folks today, and I'm not going to get into the translation debate. There's a number of translations in this church building. I am not going to tell you that there is only one inspired translation. My bigger concern for you this morning is which translation are you reading and which verses are you considering are God's word and you need to come under the authority of God Almighty. Would that be a better question? We need to come to this place in our life. And as we think of these letters, you have to understand culturally, they didn't have Twitter. I don't know how Paul would have done that. 
He would have got maxed out real quick. And I'm hearing now that they're even talking about extending the amount of stuff that you can do in Twitter. Don't ask me. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I wouldn't even, I don't know. You know me. I wouldn't be able to do it because I can't even say my name in less than five minutes. So it's like, (laughs) Paul's a little bit like that. So God picked some person whom he could trust to pen what he wanted penned to people who he loved. And he chose the Apostle Paul. Can't think of better candidates for some of the stuff that he's about to write. And so with that in mind, we know that there were 13 of these letters that he wrote. They're in different colors to signify how they were given to us in chronological order as they were written, not as you have them in your Bible. So when you look at them, you begin to see themes that take place. And there were three themes that actually help us to understand. They were to encourage or to establish the church. Those primary letters that came out first, which... First and second Thessalonians were one and Galatians also. They were given to help those local churches understand the primary essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The letters that were given in the middle stages, and by the way, Paul's began to write probably 15 years into his journey. So he's not a newbie. He's been around. And with Paul, it was either preach, pray, or die. I mean, it was one of those things. Whenever he did anything, it was riot or revival. So he had tons of experience. And 15 years into it, he began to write under the inspiration of God Almighty. And he wrote these opening letters and these middle letters that dealt with some of the doctrine. You'll see the words, the teaching, the faith, all the way through. The book of Romans would be a classic, would it not? Those doctrinal issues that this new church, newer churches, needed now to understand. The last of his writing, if we divide it up this way, would be those latter epistles that he wrote to those whom were in leadership. So just a little bit of help there as we think of the book, a little bit of background. The author's intent, very important whenever you look at a book. Why did God want this penned? This is what we teach at NBBI and every Bible student ought to be thinking through. When you open up the pages of Scripture, you need to ask the question, what is the primary intent here? Because if you don't, you're really going to find yourself scattered all over the place when you start reading the Word of God, right? Everybody okay with that? Makes sense, right? So the author's intent, briefly utilizing those three words that we've already considered, would be this. To encourage and build up. You could put new believers within the church in their faith, love, and hope until the day of Jesus Christ. This is huge, folks, because... When you consider it, faith, love, and hope is not a new theme, is it not? If I was to say faith, love, and hope, and the greatest of these is, comes from another one of his epistles. 
It seems to flow, you see it all the way through Scripture. Very important themes. But the part that really makes this book really sing is that you are to have these three qualities for how long? Class, bottom line on the screen. And who was this written to? Young in the faith, as we'll find out in just a minute. So you begin to understand the concept that Paul is now beginning to drill home. It's one of those things that I think we're missing when we talk to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are content for them to get saved. But we forget about the fact we want them to remain steadfast. And finish with the same concepts in mind. If there's a day and age that we live, it is today. I just read an article this week. My, don't even, don't even get me on. Don't ask me, Jeremy. You don't want to hear it all right now. Don't get me going, Jeremy. Stop it. They're talking about this age group of the 20 to 30-year-olds. Do we have any in the house? Ah, right here. I'll come sit with you guys. Can I sit with you? Okay, I'll just sit here for a minute. All right? You know what's happening? This age group is dropping out of our church like flies. Well... Hopefully not flies. Thank you, Captain Obvious. But you know what the article said? They're dropping out. Before her age group. They've dropped out right here. before they ever got to junior high. God help us. First Thessalonians got a lot to say. Because it's the keeping power. It's what makes the difference in longevity. And some of us in this room have been saved since we were knee-high to a hubcap and praise God. If there was ever a day and age that we needed the older ones who have walked in their faith, has it been perfect? (laughs) No. But why are you still in the house? That's the question that people are being asked. That's the question that was probably going to be asked in this church. Why in the world would you stick with it, Paul? Why would you stay with it? All that ever happens to you is you get beat up, you get ridiculed, you get laughed, you get thrown out of town, and what do you do? You go back in and do it again. Are you nuts? Faith. Love, hope. Those words we need to consider. 
But before we do, let's look at the book. Starts with three men. I don't know how you write your letters. Uh, I usually write my letter to the person who it is that's going to receive the letter. But they were smart. Because, I mean, have you ever got a letter from somebody you didn't know who it was? And it was multiple pages. Have you ever got one of those? Now, young people, they, they don't get letters. They get emails and they get Twitters and they're real quick. And I don't know how that all works. But if you ever got one, what would be the first thing that you would do after you opened it and started it up? Turn to the back to see who wrote it. So Paul was ahead of his time. Just saying. They're not, it was good. It was a good thing. So we find these three guys. Who were they? They were co-workers. They were co-workers in the faith. These three guys went there to Thessalonica. This was the second missionary journey of Paul. For those of us in the room, Paul went on three journeys. The first journey took him out. He gets back from there. And what does he want to do? He wants to go do it again. But he wants to go back and to establish where he had been and to develop new along the way. And so we see him doing it on this second trip. If you have a good Bible, and by the way, this is a good sign. Everybody ought to grab their Bible right now. How many electronic Bibles do we have here? This could be really confusing for you. You got your Bible? Do you have maps in the back of your Bible? If you don't have maps in the Bible then you ought to get a different one. Okay, that's that's first thing, okay? Get a decent Bible. Talk to Larry over here. He'll help you out find one. You need a good Bible and so that you can see this. You'll see it better in your notes, in your maps. You'll find a section in there that will have Paul's journeys. And depending on the quality of your Bible will be the clarity of what those journeys look like. That is another indication of a good Bible. If you can't figure out what the maps are, get a different Bible. Anyway, <clears throat> Long story. Let's turn to Acts chapter 17. And we'll see some of this information. And I think I just jumped ahead of myself here. No, I didn't. That's where we're going. Acts chapter 17. That's why I keep notes once in a while. Acts chapter 17 kind of gives us some background to this. And this morning it's all introduction, it's all free of charge, and then we'll get going here. We see that the verse begins in Thessalonians that from these three men, it is written to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We go back to chapter 17, I'll read for you, and we'll see what took place when Paul and his buddies showed up. Now, when they had passed through and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews... Paul's practice always was to go where the people were. And synagogues seem to be one of those gathering places. I think it's Tim Hortons for us. I'm not sure. And Paul went in as his custom, and he was there for three Sabbath days. And again, we understand that particular time, Sabbath day was when the Jews met. That was on the Saturday. That's their day of getting together. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Notice this. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to raise, rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Wow. Quite a message. Verse 4, and some of them were persuaded 
and joined Paul and Silas, another name for Silvanus, as did a great many of the devout Greeks. Not a few, and, and not a few of the leading ladies also. So we see that out of this group in the synagogue, there was a host of people that were persuaded by just that very statement that we heard before. If you mark in your Bible, that's not a bad line. What am I supposed to tell people at Tim Hortons? Explain, reason, and prove the necessity of Christ's suffering. We're going to do that with our Easter musical. But we're going to do that in here. Here's a great... I mean, I I was thinking about this. I'm like, huh. Uh, Maybe I'm beginning to understand why maybe my evangelism tricks aren't working. Because that's all they are is tricks. When Paul knew what he needed to share. So we find out as we read... Verse 5, the Jews were jealous, and they took some wicked men of rabble, interesting, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. Why? Seeking to bring him out of the crowd. And when they could not find Paul and Silas, they grabbed Jason. Instead, some of his brothers brought him before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That was the description that these guys had of Paul and his crew. They were known. I don't know, is that a good thing to be known for? And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Now, that was kind of added on for effect. I didn't see any of that in Paul's message. But that was added. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Verse 10, the brothers immediately set Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue in Berea. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them before believed, not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Same thing. But when the Jews of Thessalonica learned the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Uh, Not really a welcoming city, would you say? except for those who receive the truth. This letter we're going to look at was sent back to this same crew within months. Now, you've got to understand, they didn't have email and all that stuff, so it did take a while. Paul had to get himself situated somewhere where he could actually sit down and write, and he actually did, and he penned this, and it got back to them in five to eight months' time. When you look at the church of Thessalonica, there's one thing you have to say about it. It has to be a work of God. And that's what the opening line, if you turn back to 1 Thessalonians, actually says. 
It's a good thing to be reminded, is it not? To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we're living in a day and age where we will take credit for whatever we possibly can get our hands onto, and if we're not careful, we'll take credit for what is happening here at the People's Church, and that will not be a good thing. The People's Church is here today because men and women back then, elected of God, chosen, got together, and they followed God's plan. And they formed a group. And some of you are close enough, you remember distant relatives, not that distant, who joined and were part of this opening group. And there was a great amount of interest and hoopla, I would imagine, wasn't there? And there has been sense. In the history of this church, we see there's been tremendous growth, And we've also seen some tremendous challenges, have we not? But here we are. How many years? Anybody know how long this church has been in operation? Since when? 1951. Do the math and you will figure out how many years that is. And here we are. Jesus Christ hasn't come yet. So we need to learn a little more about those three words. But before we do, I want us to conclude with the phrase that you have in your text. He simply says to this church, grace to you and peace. Now, if you were and had the time and wanted to, you could go to every one of the epistles and you will see that this is the salutation for every one of those 13 epistles. Paul says it to every one of them. He says it to the ones that are just starting out. He says it to the ones that are in the middle. And he says it to the ones that are at the end. He says to them, grace and peace. Immediately when we think about it, we think, oh, well, that's just a typical greeting of the day. And he was being politically correct because we remember the congregation was made up of both Gentiles and Jews, was it not? And so when the Gentiles got together, they did say, grace to you. And the Jews got together and they said, peace, shalom, shalom. They still do it today. Shalom, shalom. So it could have been. But when you stop and you think a little bit about it and you throw the tagline that all Scripture is inspired of God and not one little thing is missing, then you begin to look underneath the cover and you begin to see something totally rich. Because when you consider the word grace, we know it to mean unmerited favor of God shown to mankind, right? It implies the rescuing of man from the wrath to come. Now, is that not quite a little greeting? When you consider to think from the Gentile's perspective, and he's writing back to these new Gentile believers, what is it that you need to be reminded of? If you were a Gentile, you were called a dog as far as the religious community went. You had to go find your own God. 
They weren't allowed any further than the Gentile court. They couldn't make access. They couldn't get in. There was no way they were condemned. They needed grace. And Paul nails it. Grace. Unmerited favor. We are now talking about removing the stigma. But then he says peace. That word peace has something to do with the well-being associated with God's presence. All throughout their history, the Jewish people were longing and looking for the presence of God. Whenever the presence of God was, there was a sense of peace. Right? With God for us? Think of the different battles that took place. And God took care of them. So there was this element of peace. Okay, I haven't said anything yet that you don't already know. Everybody wake up now. Just hang on. I want, to, I want you to see something. You put them together. And it addresses the gospel issue. Because you cannot have the gospel without being rescued from your sin. And you cannot have the gospel without enjoying the fruit of that reconciliation that has been done. The gospel of Jesus Christ crossed over Jew and Gentile. When God put his plan together, it was not just for the chosen ones. It was for the chosen ones. Collectively, all mankind who could enjoy both grace and peace. And we sang that song about grace this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ is more than an event that took place in your life when you were six years old at a daily vacation Bible school and you came forward and you got on your knees and you said, Dear God, I am a sinner. Will you forgive me? God forgave you. You remember that? Do you remember the peace that came about in your life? The burden was lifted at Calvary. Do you remember it? Remember, people, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But my friend, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for every day. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone in this room. When Paul wrote to them, he knew they would be in pressure. He knew the trouble they would have. He knew what would happen in their life. As I go down through the different praise items and we write out, there's been a collective theme in our church. As our lips of praise have been indicating the fact that, oh God, I am so glad that you have been gracious to me since I got saved. friend, 
you have received the gospel, not only have you been given unmerited favor, but when you confess and you ask God to forgive of your day to day, you can experience peace. How many weeks, how many days do I live in turmoil? Right now, this morning, what has captivated your attention that is taking away the peace, the well-being, the acknowledgement that the presence of God is here with me right now. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The same God who saved you from the wrath of God is the same God who rescues you from yourself now. I, I guess I forgot it. And I worked myself up into a frenzy trying this and doing that and getting this fixed and, oh, because this happened. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I'm over here, and, yeah, I'm a Christian. I know I'm a believer, but, oh, I'm a sorrowful piece of work. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Doesn't God know that? All he wants you to do is ask him, rescue me. David, over and over and over again, all throughout the Psalms, he cried out to his God for deliverance. And you'll see in those Psalms, all but one, the end of it, His peace is restored. The gospel, my friend, is not just to get us out of hell for eternity. The gospel includes unmerited favor that results in the fruit of of a life that is reconciled. There's nothing between. Ephesians talks about it. It uses words like chosen and predestinated and adopted and redeemed and forgiven. Look at it this afternoon, chapter 1. Some of you will know this song. I won't sing it for you. It is in her hymn book, though. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. What a great way to start a letter. What a great theme for these young believers to grab. It's this is it. I can experience it. I can enjoy grace and 
peace. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to rescue and reconcile every day. Aren't you glad for God like that? I don't know how you came in the building this morning. Maybe you need a little touch of grace. What's holding you back? Maybe this morning you come and you've got all kinds of stuff that are in just disrepair. You need a little peace. But you cannot have one without the other. They are attached. Accept them the way God gave them to us. And live accordingly. To you, my friend, you know I love you. I can't think of any other thing that I could pray for you than to pray that you understand God's grace and peace. This morning, if you don't, don't leave here. Do business with him. Talk to one of us. We need to go out into our world with a common front, the gospel that really makes a difference. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you so much for who you are. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we put those two together in the plan that you had includes grace and peace. Our heart longs and desperately needs that kind of relationship. And that is why we can love you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul. Dear God, may we take this out to those that we meet because we live in a world that is totally confused with what it is that you have done and what can take place if they would believe. Guide us. Dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. Don't forget the meeting over here, folks.